Welcome to Copyright Clearance in this podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, November 17th, 2017. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me today from his office in Manhattan. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, Wednesday night saw the book industry's gala evening, the National Book Awards. It's a time when editors and authors break out the tuxedos and gowns to celebrate the best books of the year and to honor those who've had distinguished careers. So tell us about what happened. Yes, indeed. On Wednesday, the 68th National Book Awards were held at Cipriani, New York, here in Lower Manhattan. And this will not surprise you or probably any of our listeners, but... Politics were once again front and center in the publishing world on this night, uh, including an appearance by former President Bill Clinton, uh, who's now one of a family of three best-selling authors. Uh, Clinton introduced Scholastic President and CEO Dick Robinson, who was the recipient of the 2017 Literary Award for Outstanding Service to the Literary Community. By now, I'm sure our listeners know who all the winners are, so we'll just take a moment here to offer our congratulations to Masha Gessen, who took home nonfiction honors for the Future is History, How Totalitarianism Reclaimed Russia, which was published by the fine people at Riverhead. Jessamyn Ward won fiction honors for Sing, Unburied Sing, published by Scribner. Double congratulations are in order for Ward, as this is her second MBA for fiction, which is quite a feat to be sure. Congratulations, too, to Frank Bidart, thrice nominated and now a winner in the poetry category. He won for his collected poem collection, Frank Bidart, Half Light, uh, collected poems 1965 to 2016 published by Farrar, Strauss, and Drew. And actress Anne Hathaway was also on hand, and she awarded the Medal for Distinguished Contributions to American Letters to fiction writer Annie Prue. Uh, You can read all about the night, which by all accounts was spectacular, on the Publishers Weekly site right now, and of course it'll be available in Monday's issue. Mm, Let's see, Bill Clinton, Anne Hathaway, it certainly sounds like the NBAs have upped the wattage of their star power. Who's behind all of that? And I wonder, too, if I can coax you, Andrew, to tell us a little bit more about the politics that you were mentioning. Any chance of that? I think maybe you can coax me into that. So I I think it's true that the MBAs under Lisa Lucas are starting to sizzle a little bit. You know, I asked my colleague, Calvin Reed, who was actually at the award ceremony last night, uh, and he's been to decades of these National Book Award ceremonies, uh, and he, he agreed, and here's what he had to say. Something's going on, and I think right now, I mean, the National Book Foundation is fairly small. It has seven people, and it's a national it runs a bunch of national programs. So just making people realize that the NBA means something other than basketball, even to people in the book publishing industry sometimes. And as for the politics, well, you know, what else can we say at this point? You know, for all the threats uh, to literary foundations, to funding, to library funding, and for all the damage that Donald Trump is, has done and is doing to the media and the concept of the truth, um, it's clear that he's also given book lovers and serious thinkers something to rally around, right? Um, and it's not really just politics for politics sake in this case, not at the National Book Awards for sure. It's not about, you know, who's voting for tax cuts or who's standing for the national anthem. It's about education and engagement and acceptance and understanding, which the book industry really stands for. Uh, and our current president seems to be fighting against sometimes with his cries of fake news and his calls for a wall. So I thought Dick Robinson really hit the perfect note last night when he said that 
we all have a huge stake in establishing a level playing field where everyone reads and everyone understands. Uh, that, he said, was the important idea for people to take away from last night's National Book Awards. And I think he makes a fair point. When Beyond the Book returns with PW's Andrew Albanese, we hear that a second master plan is in play to renovate the New York Public Library's iconic branch on Fifth Avenue. I'm Christopher Keneally. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, November 17th, 2017, and we are looking at the latest news on books and reading. Libraries, of course, have plenty of both, and in New York City, the library, the New York Public Library, is set to see a $317 million renovation of its main branch. But is there still some politicking to be done here, Andrew? Yeah, so big news this week that the New York Public Library proudly unveiled a new $317 million plan for the Stephen A. Schwartzman Building, which is, of course, uh, the New York Public Library's crown jewel, located at Fifth Avenue and 42nd Street here in Manhattan. Uh, Listeners may notice the library that has the two lions out front, Patience and Fortitude. Uh, And for New Yorkers, there's actually a lot to be excited about here. Library officials say the plan, which was unanimously approved by the board this week, will largely be funded with private donations and is going to translate into a 20% increase in public space for research, exhibitions, and educational programs. But as good as that sounds, the question remains, how is the public, and particularly the library's most ardent supporters, going to see this new project? Now, you and our listeners might recall, we talked about it a bit on this show, this is NYPL's second bite uh, at the Apple when it comes to renovating its main library branch. The first stab you might remember, which was dubbed the Central Library Plan, library plan excuse me, was a disaster, and it had to be pulled after a public outcry. And in 2013, my friend and PW Library columnist Brian Kenny wrote about it for Publishers Weekly, Um, And you may recall that almost immediately after that plan was announced, it was panned by critic Ada Louise Huxtable, who slammed architect Norman Foster's plan in a, a pointed review in the Wall Street Journal. That was followed by Michael Kimmelman, who wrote a a scathing piece and a list of objections he had in the New York Times. Then there was more than a thousand scholars and authors, including bigwigs like Salman Rushdie, who signed a letter of protest. Then there was a rally on the library steps and, of course, a couple of lawsuits. But the first plan also included plans to sell off some New York public library real estate. That was all chronicled in a really fascinating book called Patience and Fortitude, Power, Real Estate, and the Fight to Save a Public Library. It was published by Melville House in 2015 and written by a writer for the nation named Scott Sherman. Now, that's just out in paperback at the end of September, fortuitous timing there from Melville House. So what went wrong with the library's first attempt to update that main library? Well, the the glaring first step, Kenny writes in 2003, was that much of the planning was done behind closed doors. And that kind of non-transparency just isn't going to fly anymore. And I'll quote Brian's piece here. Long gone are the days when library management can paternalistically change services and facilities and expect the public's grateful approval, Kenny wrote. 
Now, there's a public hearing set next week for here in New York, so we'll soon get a sense of how the public does feel about this new plan. But communication and transparency issues aside, there's another issue that could arise, and that is, is the New York Public Library's main library the right place to be focusing so much time and money? In 2013, Kenny also pointed out what he saw as the Central Library Plan's most glaring flaw, that it committed well over $300 million for one building when branches in New York and some of New York's neediest neighborhoods are failing. And that point still resonates. So while the renovation of the New York Public Library's main library is really an exciting prospect for New Yorkers, those of us outside of Midtown Manhattan would be justified in asking New York Public Library officials uh, what they can expect for their own local library branches, too. So stay tuned for more on this one for sure. Well, finally, since we can't seem to get away from politics on this book show, at least this week, Andrew, yet another Republican has announced he won't seek re-election to the House of Representatives, Congress. And this one, as you write in today's issue of The Week in Libraries, could have an impact on copyright form. So who is he and what do you expect to happen? Yeah, that's right. So late last week, uh, right after we wrapped here, this uh, we learned that House Judiciary Chairman Bob Goodlot announced that he is not going to seek re-election in 2018. Uh, Virginia Republican Goodlot is a 13-term incumbent and chairman of the powerful House Judiciary Committee. And for publishers and librarians, his departure could end up being significant because during his time in the House, he really made copyright reform a priority, although we have to say without much to show for it. So our listeners may recall the controversial Stop Online Piracy Act, SOPA, which was abruptly pulled in 2012 after a public outcry. Well, as then chairman of the Subcommittee on Intellectual Property, Competition, and the Internet, that was during the 112th Congress, Goodlatte actually co-authored that bill. And in 2013, he announced that he was going to lead this massive review to determine whether copyright laws are working in the digital age. And he cited then-Register of Copyrights Maria Pallante's policy tract, the next great Copyright Act, as his inspiration. But after more than 20 hearings, including this listening tour in various cities around the country uh, and testimony from over 100 witnesses, there's still very little to come from that ambitious review. In December of 2016, the Judiciary Committee released its first and only policy proposal from that review. It was a one-page document on the on the modernization of the Copyright Office. And earlier this year, uh, we've talked about this on the show for sure, Goodlett did manage to successfully push through a narrow bill that would have made the Register of Copyrights a presidential appointee. That was called the Register of Copyright Selection and Accountability Act, H.R. 1695, if you want to look that up. But that proposal, after having gotten through the House, now appears stuck in the Senate. In a public statement this week, Maria Pallante, who is now the president and CEO of the Association of American Publishers, uh, praised Goodlot for what she called his principled leadership and his astute oversight of and significant contribution to the nation's copyright laws. Clearly, those two, Pallante and Goodlot, have traveled quite a few roads together on copyright issues, uh, and both are also now on to new adventures, we might add. So what does Goodlett's impending departure on top of Palante's departure from the Copyright Office last year mean for the future of copyright reform? Well, I asked around this week and observers told me, still unclear at this point, but anything can happen over the next 12 months. Personally, I'll just add this. Don't expect much to happen. Uh, Next year, of course, is an election year, 2018. And at the moment, there appears to be a much more pressing issue requiring Goodlatte's principled leadership. He is currently pressuring the Department of Justice to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate Hillary Clinton. 
I could say something about that, but I'm just going to let that one hang in the air for a bit. Right. Good move. You could save it for the Thanksgiving dinner table. (laughs) Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Thanks for joining me today and every Friday on CCC's Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. And, of course, happy Thanksgiving. We all get to enjoy a little break. This segment skips a week for the holiday and returns on Friday, December 1st. Next on Beyond the Book, this Sunday, November 19th, Andrew Albanese and I will join Ray Baker, director of the Miami-Dade Public Library, Every Library's John Kratzka, and Meredith Schwartz, executive editor of the Library Journal, for a discussion, The Public Library in a Disruptive Age, at the annual Miami Book Fair. We'll explore why libraries still matter in a world of smartphones and what could be done to ensure their survival. It's all part of a free-to-all weekend of programs that make up the largest public book fair in the U.S., and details are available at MiamiBookFair.com. If you can't make it, a podcast of the program becomes available on Monday. Now, happily, Copyright Clearance Center and Publishers Weekly are regulars on the Miami stage, and in 2016, we examined the leap that storytelling is making from the page to the screen. Novelist Rafael Lima told me that digital formats matter, but that story is still king. I think the real competition is not necessarily books against other kind of media, but it's different forms of storytelling that... um, that is now competing for attention. It's short-form storytelling. It's video storytelling. It's multimedia storytelling. It's Facebook. Uh, Whenever you log into Facebook and you see one of those videos that, by the way, nobody listens to, they just, it's the titles now, Um, it, it tells you a story. It's how captivating the story becomes that determines whether or not you pay attention to the story, follow the story all the way through. Live from the Miami Book Fair, coming up on the next two editions of Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries Rights Direct and Nexus drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.